5 feet 8 inches. In high school, he enrolled in ROTC and played bass clarinet in the marching band. He finished high school a semester early, took a fast food job at Long John Silver's, and deliberated over whether he should capitalize on a college scholarship in design or go in a different direction. At 17, he seemed to know himself, hyperactive, confident. He had a talent for improvisation. He was respectful in a rank, conscious way, but didn't care what others said or advised. Introverted and impatient, he had his own way of doing things. He learned as much from his father as he did in school. He also felt the lure of service, a patriotic duty toward the adopted country that gave him and his family so much. Formal education, he decided, was not for him. So, in the summer of 1986, The same year a boy who would change Robert's life was born in Laredo, another Texas border town 140 miles southeast, Robert, much to the dismay of his non-English-speaking parents, passed up the scholarship and enlisted in the U.S. Army. Since he'd enrolled in ROTC during high school, he arrived at basic training as a 17-year-old platoon leader, instructing men who were older. To compensate for the age difference and his small size, He acted extra tough and earned the nickname Little Hitler. After basic training, he began to work as a watercraft engineer at Fort Eustis, Virginia, where he picked up a mentor, a sergeant major, who led him to work on military bases in Spain and England. On the bases, he played baseball and lifted weights. Little Hitler sported ropey arms. His neck, once nerd-thin, disappeared into his shoulders. In the Azores Islands, on a small U.S. Navy installation off the coast of Portugal, Robert met Veronica, a blonde gringa from Arizona. The daughter of a Navy man, Ronnie was the only female mechanic at the base. She was tough. While fixing the hydraulic system on a tugboat one day, Robert snuck up and slapped her neck with grease shaft oil. She wheeled around, called him an asshole. Fuck off, she said. One week later, they conceived a son. Ronnie was 20, already married to a soldier, and had a two-year-old son. Her parents never liked her husband. As far as they were concerned, he was a freeloader who drank excessively at the bar they owned in Arizona. They didn't like seeing their daughter be the breadwinner and the parent. And now here was Robert, didn't drink, didn't smoke, would do anything for her. But adultery in the military was a serious crime. At the discretion of a military court, it carried felony time and a dishonorable discharge. The chiefs read Ronnie and Robert their rights. They owned up to the affair. Ronnie's husband flew to Portugal. Furious, he stomped around the base, drank, got in fights, and broke windows at Ronnie's house. No one liked her husband. So the chiefs held a meeting to arbitrate the love triangle, and let Robert and Ronnie walk away with reprimands. When the husband called Ronnie's mother and said, Your daughter's a whore, Ronnie's father grabbed the phone and said, You weren't even born from a woman. Two freight trains bumped together and you fell out a hobo's ass. From there, the separation went smoothly. In 1991, Robert's four-year military contract neared its end as the first Gulf War started. Robert saw other soldiers re-enlisting, and collecting $10,000 bonuses. He was willing to re-enlist until the U.S. government offered him citizenship instead of the bonus. Robert didn't care much about citizenship. 
Like his father, he'd always think of himself as Mexican. And besides, his resident alien status entitled him to a U.S. passport. But he still took the denial of the bonus and the offer of citizenship as a substitute for the money that other soldiers received as an insult. How could he serve his country for four years and not get citizenship automatically? So he declined re-enlistment, walked away with neither the bonus nor citizenship, and returned to Texas with Ronnie and the boys, where he got a job as a diesel mechanic in Laredo, a border town neither of them knew. If it was your first time, you drove south on Interstate 35, past San Antonio, and expected to hit the border, but the highway kept plunging south. Texas Hill Country flattened out into a plain so fathomlessly vast, it gave you a feeling of driving down into the end of the earth. 120 miles later, and still in America...